If you have your Bibles with you, uh, it would be great whether you have a Luddite version, you know, those printed ones, which are awesome. You could grab that. We have some at the back. If you don't have one, you're welcome to one. If you don't have a Bible, you can take it home with you. Uh, or you have a phone, a tablet, yeah, open it up. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing in our series that you see on screen here. The Good Life, Human Flourishing According to Jesus, based on the Sermon on the Mount. Woohoo! What a ride it's been. And uh, it's been, uh, yeah, I think it's been really, really incredible on many levels. And um, i, I, I got to be honest with you, as I finished the last couple of episodes, right, passages that we were looking at, which were pretty challenging, right? Like we got murder and anger. Um, last week we had the trifecta of adultery, lust, and divorce. That's, and I was thinking, oh, next week's going to be much lighter. And then I started reading and praying, and I was like, oh, no. So a warning in advance. Uh, what Jesus has turned to here at this point in the Sermon on the Mount are examples, six of them, of uh, what righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees looks like. And so we've looked at the first three, actually. We've looked at murder and anger and how he compares those two and essentially says, in God's economy, they're the same thing. So don't kid yourselves, right? And then he gets into adultery and lust and divorce, which we did uh, both of those last week. And it's all about human relationships. And, and, and again, I, early on in the life of the Rock Church, we went through the Gospel of Matthew. I think it took us 11 years. No, that's not, not true. Because uh, we go verse by verse. It took a couple of years. And uh, we've been through it. I've been back over and looked at my notes, and I'm constantly amazed at how the Holy Spirit, uh, for me as your pastor and for others, I hope, just keeps revealing uh, not new truths, but deeper truths. Amen? As you go back to it and you, and you read it and you hear it, and it's amazing. But it's all about human relationships. Every one of these uh, examples that he gives about righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees or perfect righteousness are about how we can live the human life and flourish, actually live the good life, actually be whole, to be healthy. And so it's beautiful. He's wanting to give us, yes, the commands, yes, the Old Testament commands, not so that if we, we mess up, and we do, that we're going to get punished, but the whole point is the sin itself is punishing enough, and what Jesus wants for us is healing, and yes, he wants us to avoid that so that we are whole again. So in the first two, murder and anger, we learned it was really about the sanctity of life. It's sacred to God. Life is sacred to him. And then last week we learned that adultery, lust, and divorce destroy the sanctity of marriage. It's sacred to God. Sacred. That's why he instituted these things. So today, as I said, it's interesting. Uh, I want to suggest to you that today is pivotal in the six examples because as I've been studying it, and I hope it will come across today, I think it's profound. Well, obviously, Jesus is preaching on it, so it's profound. But it's so endemic. We're all, all constantly fighting this one, and frankly, guilty of what we look at today. So read with me, and then I'm going to pray one more time. Verses 33 to 37, five of them. And then we'll have a look at our verses for today. Jesus speaking. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, 
for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply this, yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thanks again, Father, for, yeah, as we prayed earlier today, for calling out those in our church community uh, and those who are visiting and guests to be here this morning. We're all here, Lord, uh, because you have drawn us here, called us to be here. And we've come here, Lord, to worship you and, and, and to give you honor and praise and glory for who you are as we've sung, but also, Lord, to hear from you. Lord Jesus, we've just heard your words that you spoke as part of this beautiful, amazing sermon. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would do the work that all of our hearts need. And I pray you will really help me this morning, yeah, to communicate your truth. And I pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So, as some of you are regular rocksters know... <clears throat> I grew up in the city of Toronto many years ago. Yes, the center of the universe. It's an amazing place. And uh, it's interesting. My my sister and I went to a a Catholic grade school in Toronto just off of Yonge Street. And where we lived, we we were actually close enough to our home that, and they gave us an hour and 10 minutes for lunch where most of the time we could actually go home for lunch, right? And and mom, uh, my mother... um, and my sister and I were the, uh, going to that school. We would run home at lunch uh, for lunch because mom was home most of the time. She did go to work from time to time. But, and, and that was when we were older. And so we could still go home for lunch and make ourselves sandwiches. And she would leave soup. And it was awesome. But one of the reasons why I was really keen to get home is because at, at 12 noon and at 12.30, there were two of my favorite game shows, right? So I'd be sitting there eating my, you know, my grilled cheese and my tomato soup, which was my favorite. And, and we'd be watching these shows. One of them is still on television to this day. You all know it. Anybody? Not the price is right, but good guess. Er, Jeopardy. Exactly, right? And I would get home, and it was, you know, I'm a, a young guy, and it was pretty, but it was a bit cerebral, right? So, but at 12.30, my favorite show came on, and it was called To Tell the Truth. It was an amazingly interesting concept. Basically, what happened is you had four panelists who were kind of like, um, media, but actually celebrities of some kind, right? And then you'd have three people come out, men or women, and, and the first one would come out and, for example, just literally say something like, hi, my name is John Dooley. I'm just making that up. I don't remember that one exactly. But, and then, th- then the camera would move to the second person, three panelists, three uh, persons, and he would say, I am John Dooley. And then the third one would say the same thing. I am John Dooley, Right? And so then the, the host would give some little background where you knew, or at least the panelists knew, that they were related in some way, shape, or form to some famous person or event. So now the panelists would, would have a clue as to how to question them, because you wanted to find out who the real John Dooley was, and of course the other two were what? Liars. <laughs> and it was a great show. And so what would happen, they'd ask the questions, and then they would vote. And they would say, you know, like who they thought was the real John Dooley. And then what would typically happen is one of the imposters would begin to stand. They feigned this quite a bit, right? And then the real John Dooley would stand up. And it was amazing. But here's the interesting thing. 
that, that was kind of, I didn't, I didn't realize it at first, but and I look back on it because Janice and I watched one of them in black and white, like they were old, this is an old show, right? I guess I am too. And, and the interesting thing was is that each one of the imposters, well, actually the real John Dooley, would get $250 US back in the day. That's like a million today, not quite. And, and for getting one of the panelists to vote for them. So listen, they were motivated to lie. And, and of course, they'd be given a little bit of information about the real John Dooley, so they would do a little bit. They didn't have Google, obviously, but they would have some notes and they would do their best to do that. It's all in good fun, right? It's all in good fun. It was fun. It was, the, it was funny to watch, right? And you'd, you'd also try to guess who the real John Dooley was. But I want to suggest to you today, it's, it's morally wrong to lie, right? And, and so what was actually happening in a very subtle way is it was being trivialized or maybe domesticated a little bit, right? And so friends, what I'm hoping to show you today is people pretend, you and I pretend to be who we are not a lot. We, we wear masks, we, we pretend. It's a challenging one. The bottom line is, is what are we doing then? Well, we are not telling the truth. So your sermon title for today is to tell the truth. Because that in this passage, in a nutshell, is what Jesus is getting at. So today I will suggest that we're not only in a post-truth culture, but one that has actually made lying a virtue. I spent, as many of you know, 30 years in the marketplace in the business world. Listen, <laughs> in the field of, here we go, marketing, right? I, there's, some people would call it a fine line. It's basically erased, okay? Like, the idea is you sell your product and your services, and at the end of the day, that line gets crossed. Why? Because you want your product to sell versus someone else's. And it's endemic. And so people are actually given awards for how well they can market the product or sell the product and, and stretch the truth. You know, over-promise, under-deliver, it's the way it goes in our world. Many weeks ago, you will all remember, <laughs> painfully, actually I think it wasn't painful, we, we spent six weeks in a series called Spiritual Warfare. And it was about the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And we, we flipped it around, we looked at the devil first, and then the flesh, and then the world. And it was interesting, we learned, of course, that the guy, the devil, the real being... Um, is real, number one. But we also learned that he is the consummate liar. Lying is actually his nature. He doesn't have any other real redeemable characteristics. Lying is what he does when he wakes up. Well, he never goes to sleep. But it's his nature to continually lie. The Bible refers to him as the father of all lies. And so one of the, um, I guess you could say, uh, lines we used or... Uh, pieces that I borrowed from Mark George, uh, John Mark Cormer's book, uh, Live No Lies, uh, was this. He basically, his modus operandi is this. Deceptive ideas he plants into the world, into everyone's minds and hearts, not just those who are in the world, but in yours and mine, deceptive ideas. Half-truths. Outright lies. That play to our disordered desires. The flesh and then have become normalized in a sinful culture, the world. It was quite the study. It was quite the look at what's going on out there, right? 
And so listen, we're all being lied to every day. I'm sure some of you have noticed that. And on multiple levels, and as I'm sure none of you here today need me to point out, at this point, separating truth from fact, hashtag fake news, it's one of the reasons why we have so many uh, sites out there that are called fact checkers. But even the fact checkers, Snopes, my favorite one, is doubted more and more these days. I mean, it's come to the point where we ask the question, I think, who do you trust? Honestly, who do you trust, right? And so Jesus tells us, actually, in the last verse that I read for you this morning, that we read today, and we'll look at it more depth, uh, depth later, that when we lie, you got the t-shirt, right? When we lie, when we say we will do something, promise to do something, and break that promise, that our motivation is coming from the evil one. That's what Jesus is getting at. Look at the verse. He says, let what you say simply be yes or no. We'll come back to that. Anything more than this comes from evil. So what we're looking at today, what Jesus is highlighting for them and for us today is the sanctity of the truth. It's the sanctity of truthfulness. And it is sacred to God. In, in, the, in the devil, there's no truth in him at all. Jesus is the way, the truth, definite article, and the life. Amen? There is only truth in him. So Jesus knows and wants us to know that without truth, we personally will not flourish. This is so important in the Sermon on the Mount for him to get this across to you and I. Without truth in our lives, we will not flourish. In fact, what we will do is slowly, day by day, die as humans. In fact, without truth, our society will not survive. History tells us that every nation, those of you who've been to high school and university, you know this, every nation um, and an empire that has abandoned the truth in, in the key arenas of life, whether they be politics, in the media, academia, in social settings, those nations or empires fall every single time. And I'm sure many of us today are thinking, well, let's pick on our neighbors to the south. We love them. Then the United States will never fall. Really? Canada will never fall. Great Britain will never fall. So, in every situation then, before there is a truthful yes or no, there is a lie. Those are the choices, as Jesus will show us. It's either yes, no, or lie. So you all know the hard times that the truth has fallen into in our day and age, right? Uh, the truth is, we all start lying very, very young. Now, I know some of you have taken your little beautiful ones upstairs, right? Your little angels, right? Especially those who are in the nursery, and you're like, no, not my little one. <clears throat> just wait, okay? You, you just wait. Interesting uh, couple of books that I found that I've known and I've read in the past. Uh, there was a famous psychologist in the 70s and 80s, or at least that's when his books became famous. His name was M. Scott Peck. These are troubling books, I've got to tell you. One of them is called The Road Less Traveled. It's a very good book. Some people believe he was a Christian. I, I would say maybe. 
<laughs> I don't know, but he also believes certain things about other religions and so forth. But the one that I want to quote from today is called The People of the Lie. And oh my, did that have a huge impact in its day. Especially when it comes to children, because he was a psychologist. He actually said at one point, children lie naturally. It just comes naturally to them. He was once asked uh, this question, which kind of troubled him. He was asked, why is there so much evil in the world? And he replied, that's a ridiculous question. Physicists know that everything in the physical world is moving toward random disorder and decay. Again, been to university, been to high school. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. And it tells us that things are naturally, consistently breaking down. Not evolving and getting stronger and getting better, breaking down. Then he adds, the same is true in the moral world. Remember those verses again that Jesus and Paul said that in the last days people will wax worse and worse. I could go on. He said this also, the tendency in a child, if not checked, is that lying will lead to deeper and deeper evil. And so that the important phrase there is, if not checked. So parents, yeah, we have to discipline our kids. And you know that. You know that. But here's a quote that will be put on screen that he said, and I... I like the ending especially. He says that children lie, steal, cheat, and want to make reality what they want it to be is routinely observable. Sound too harsh? But then he says, the fact that some people grow into honest adults is an absolute miracle. I I like that. It's just honest. So now today and post Oprah's famous line, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, live your truth. Truth has not only fallen on hard times, it's being literally obliterated. Uh, It's no longer holding value or worth completely relative, as they say. And so when it comes to our human relationships and human flourishing, it's creating a disaster in our world and culture. No one really trusts anyone, actually, to tell the truth. One commentator put it this way, truth is so scarce that nearly everyone is suspect. Business people, advertisers, commentators, clerks, salesmen, lawyers, doctors, tradesmen, teachers, writers, oh yes, politicians, and even many, if not most, preachers are suspect. Hold on. We shade the truth, we cheat, we exaggerate, we misrepresent income tax deductions. We make promises we have no intention of keeping, we make up excuses, we betray confidence, confidences, all as a matter of normal, everyday life. Are you encouraged? <laughs> and yet, listen, despite the fact that I, I think we all honestly in our hearts know that's all true, we know it's true, especially of those other people. The reality is uh, we rely on the truth so don't, don't give up on it. Don't get completely discouraged, right? Our courts of law rely on the truth, and they ask every witness to what? Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and then they throw in, so help me God. That's, it's necessary. Now, does it always happen? Whoever gets up there tells the truth? <laughs> oh, well. No. But the checks and balances we have in our court system, at least for the most part, most of the time, assure us that the truth will be arrived at. Why? Because it's important to know the truth. 
And so in that way, we prove that it's so, so important. And so the truth is, despite how susceptible we all are to lying, and we know in our heart of hearts that it's wrong, but we only, as I alluded to a second ago, only hate it when others lie. Well, the good news, Jesus desires us to tell the truth. And he, and he wants to give us some help. <laughs> a lot of help. So let's see what he has to say about this. Speaking to the people in those days and to you and I today, in verse 33, it'll be on screen. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So Jesus did as he does here, as he did in the first two examples, with what they, he basically said what they all would have been taught by their rabbis, right? By their teachers, by their parents, from the word of God. In this case, it's actually not from the Ten Commandments. It's taken from a combination of commands from Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which were very clear. And first and foremost, it was, do not bear or do not swear falsely. Tell the truth. And as some of your translations might say, make false vows. It's another good translation. And that is then followed by the high command, which I emphasized, and you'll see it there in the text, perform to the Lord. Kind of missed that one, as we're going to see, what you have sworn. Now, the, the, the reason it's put that way is because vows were promises to do or perform something or that what you were saying was bearing witness to the truth. So in both cases, then, it was about the truth. And when they made vows or promises, they were, they were to, by the way, invoke the name of the Lord to solemnize their word when they were giving their word. I promise, for example, to love you until death do us part. God be my witness. Would be one of the ways that they would use that in a marriage vow. In their minds, Jesus was talking about the big picture items. He was talking about vows or covenants as in marriage, before God and before witnesses, and also promises to pay a debt, to fulfill a work of labor, However, this teaching by Jesus was and has been very misunderstood, obviously, by them in that day, but even to this day. And, and truth be told, um, not just by our misreading of it, but sometimes the mispreaching of it. Because I've heard this preached differently, and I want to show that to you today. But Jesus goes on to say this in verses 34 to 36. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. By the way, they had dye in the day, hair dye, okay? So he's getting at something a little bit more metaphorical, but also biological. So I want to have verses 34 and 35 actually put back up on screen as we unpack this. So again, what we see here is we see Jesus going from, you have heard it said, right? Not a commandment, but by your teachers of the law. And it was good teaching. Now he says, but I say to you, equating his words with the ultimate authority of God. So now some have taken this to say, listen, that we must never, ever, ever swear an oath. I was a Christian at 23 years of age. I got pulled over. Actually, I had had pulled over by a police officer in Toronto, and he gave me a ticket, and I was a little irate. 
I've got to be honest with you, right? Because I'm coming north on Young, on Young Street, and, and there's a point where you get to, the, and it, there's a big hill that goes down like this, and it was black at night. It was kind of rainy, drizzly, right? And I, as I get to the crosswalk, I see out of my peripheral vision a, a, an older woman dressed in black, great, and carrying two bags, and she's just walking like this, right? And I, I like, slam on the brakes. I couldn't. It was too late. So I just glided through. So then I turned left because I had to go down the street to go to my home. I also wanted to stop at the, the, the store there and get some milk. And as I'm coming around the corner, the officer goes, hey, are you the guy who went through the crosswalk? And I went, yeah, yeah. Said, oh, man. He goes, yeah, come here. And he starts writing me up. And I'm like, that's not right. Like, so anyway, I, in my wisdom at that time and youthfulness, thought I'm going to court. Hopefully the officer doesn't show up and I'm going to fight this, right? And so anyway, I was telling a man in our church and he said to me, he goes, well, when they pull out the Bible, don't you dare put your hand on it and swear an oath. It's in Matthew 5. You read it for yourself. And so I'm like, okay. So, of course, I go there and I refuse to put my hand on the Bible. The judge looks at me and goes, oh, one of those. Gee. And, of course, I lost. Go pay the ticket, right? Anyway. But I, I thought that at the time. And I thought that for a lot of my, my life. And maybe you have too. And I want to show you today that that's not what Jesus was getting at. So what is he getting at? Well, first, like he had done with murder, anger, adultery, lust, and divorce, Jesus knows that they'd come up with, listen, some very creative ways, creative ways to make, you know, very, you know, blustery and look at me, I'm making a great vow, you know, and they would do it in such a way so that they could get out of it. They could break it. And he knew that, right? And so this is a, this is a teaching to... to get their minds straightened out again. So rather than invoking God's name, for which they knew an oath was to be done that way, rather than invoking God's name, Yahweh's name, right? they, they came up with some really creative ways so that they could maybe get out of it, right? And so they came up with ways, like, for example, they would say, by your life or by my beard. I don't know how in the world a beard would be, like, authoritative or scare me, I don't know, or make me believe you. But, or they would say something like, may I never see the comfort of Israel if I don't fulfill my vow, right? Something like that, right? Well, today someone, it might be so like someone saying, on my mother's grave. I, I used to hear that when I was growing up quite a bit, actually, on my mother's grave. I, and I always used to wonder, like, honestly, if I was making a vow and I wasn't going to keep it and my mother was already passed away, if there was any way in the world that she could rise from the dead, she would and slap me. <laughs> Or it would be like saying, I will swear on a stack of Bibles. <laughs> Not just a Bible, but a stack of them. Okay? It would be a little bit like doing that, right? So Jesus, Jesus identifies many of the ways that they were swearing oaths actually in this text. And that's why I'm suggesting to you it can be taken wrong. And he says, he says this basically to them. He says, listen, don't swear by heaven, because some of them would do that. I swear by heaven. Or God's throne, close boys, but yeah, I see what you're doing here, right? Um, or by God's good creation, the earth. Or by even the holy city, Jerusalem. All of those sound legit, but they're not, and quite frankly, guys, you know it. Secondly, Jesus is saying them to them and us today here something that should actually have frightened them. I think as we conclude today, it might frighten you too. Essentially, he's saying this. Yes, listen, God is in heaven. God's there. He's in heaven. 
Yes, he is seated on his throne. Okay, God is spirit, so metaphorically, he's seated on his throne. He, yes, the earth is his footstool, his footstool. Yes, you got that right. And yes, Jerusalem is his great city. He is its king. So listen, don't think if you invoke something else for the name of God that he's deaf, dumb, or blind. He's there. He hears every oath, no matter what you use to invoke it. And he's going to hold you accountable for it. You may be tricking the rest of us, but you're not going to trick God. And so it's important that we understand that we make our oaths and promises. We also must remain truthful. And that's the point that Jesus is getting across. And then then he really dials it down beautifully, and this is where we'll spend the last part of our time this morning. In verse 37, he says, so guys, let me make it really simple for you. Let what you say be simply this, yes or no. And as we said in the beginning, anything more than this comes from evil. So listen, in one sense, it would be true to say that Christians do not need do not have to swear oaths. In one sense, it would be okay to to believe that and to say that, meaning we do not have to swear in the way that they did and specifically shouldn't in the ridiculous ways that they did, right? Instead, we need to be so trustworthy, this is the point, always telling the truth, proven to be truthful, that When anyone hears our yes or anyone hears our no, they know it's true. They just know, right? So when we say yes, I promise or will commit to you to do that between us, that you are speaking the truth and you will keep your promise. And when you are asked to agree with something that contravenes God's word or you know it is untruthful, that you will say no. I will not do that or say that it is true. So, we can then see that Jesus' teaching is essentially saying this, and this would be a good takeaway today. Every yes and every no is an oath. Let me repeat that. Every yes and every no in Jesus' mind, in God's economy, is an oath. So now also, if you did not hear my emphasis a few minutes ago, I did say we do not have to. We do not have to uh, swear oaths. But that doesn't mean we, that we cannot. It doesn't mean that at all. Thankfully, today, if your conscience does bother you about swearing on a Bible, you do not have to. I would recommend that it might put you in doubt in the magistrate's eyes. So, but you could. But if your conscience says to you, 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 you know, I don't want to do that, okay, that's fine. You, there is another way that you can promise to tell the truth in courts. Today, it's far less, actually, like it was in that day. In that day, it was all verbal, right? It was all verbal oaths, for the most part. And today, of course, much of our oath-giving is actually written and in a contractual sense. So if you think about it, the reason why we have lawyers, right, and pages and pages of contracts to sign everything from mortgages to purchase agreements, and oh, by the way, there's those software licenses that you scroll down, you never read, and you sign, 
You're making an oath, right? The reason why, actually, think about it, we are required to do these things on a regular basis and why there are lawyers. Love you, lawyers. If you're watching, I love you. Really, okay, we do. But it's because we're not known to be truthful. We're known to break our contracts. That's why they're so... I just re-upped to our internet uh, subscription with, with, I won't mention the company, um, and, and I, like, they sent me the contract and said, make sure you read it before you digitally sign it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, this is like five pages, right? Because there's a little paragraph that and if, if our router burns down our, your house, it's not our fault. I'm going, whoa, hang on. Anyway, it's, it's unbelievable what we must give ourselves to. And you know what? We do. We do. It's Okay. We, we can swear oaths, we can, we can make vows, we can, and we should in some cases. Of course, you know, I performed, as you know, last, a week ago yesterday, a, a wedding of one of our nieces, and it's like, before God and witnesses, I promise to keep this covenant till death do us part. It was beautiful. They give vows to each other, and then we went through the traditional vows, and it's a good thing, amen? Do we always keep our vows? That one's a big promise. So listen, Jesus believes in taking oaths too. In case you were wondering, it's it's actually several times shown in the New Testament with the apostles talk about it, keeping oaths and taking oaths and things like that. But there's one really great example. You remember on uh, when Jesus is being uh, on trial and, and he's just before he's being crucified, and the high priests are just accusing him of all these different things, and he's silent through the whole thing. And then we read in Matthew 26. The high priest basically yelling at him, I charge you under oath by the living God. There you go. That's invoked. (laughs) Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus spoke now, and he said, yes, it is as you say. He didn't, like, teach them Matthew 5 over again and say, hey, guys, guys, no vows, no oaths. No, he complied, and it is a good thing. So, well, as, listen, as we're going to come to our conclusion here this morning and ask what was Jesus getting at and what's our takeaway, we know it's about the truth. I hope you know that it's, it's not about lies so much as it is about the importance and the sanctity of the truth. And so that means if you and I are to be people of the truth, that means we are to be people of integrity. In reading some commentaries, I I didn't know this, but the root word for the word integrity is the word integer. We think of numbers, right? But the root word literally means whole, as in whole numbers, right? And uh, so that's what we're being called to. We're, We're called to being people of integrity. Do you know anyone? I, I do. I, I know people. They're not perfect. They maybe stretch the truth from time to time, and especially when I'm not around or not being watched. Yeah, probably. Hello, T-shirt. But have they grown in sanctification and faith and walk with Christ? And, and you look at them and go, you know, these are men and women of integrity. I want to be like them. I hope so. First then, when it comes to our own integrity and when and if it is questioned, listen, we must confess. We must tell the truth. Did you, young man, drive your car through that crosswalk? Yes, I did. Go pay the ticket. <laughs> what happened? 
got to tell the truth. Yes, what I did or said was wrong. Or no, listen, I did not tell the truth. I'm sorry. I apologize. People of integrity do that. So that's one good lesson I hope we can take away. I know it's hard, but it is healing. Secondly, here's a few examples related to always telling the truth. Letting your, less, your yes be yes and your no be no. First of all, a person of integrity doesn't say one thing and do another. Right? Ah, that's a struggle. For example, says that they will call you this week, and then they don't. You know, or promises to pray for you, and likes to quote First Thessalonians without ceasing, but you don't. We don't. A person of integrity also doesn't say one thing, but is thinking another thing. Oh man, I read this again as an example in a commentary, and I was like, oh, God. ouch. That's a dart, right? You know, I'd really love to come to your place this Friday, but I have another commitment. When the truth is, you really don't want to go to their house. Or you notice that your girlfriend or a guy friend or whatever has a brand new hairstyle. And you can tell by the way they're walking towards you. They're like, are you going to say anything? And you're like, oh, Gosh, that looks horrible on them. But yes, it's beautiful. Okay, that's, listen, come on. That's, you don't want to hurt people's feelings, right? I mentioned some, some people uh, uh, that about, about a month or so ago, some individual came back to our church who lives away and used to, and they walked in the back door. And by the way, this used to be a lot shorter before my sabbatical. And uh, this is Janice's idea. And so she came in the, the front door and, and she looked at me and went, uh, yeah, Glenn, uh, that's not your best look. And I was like, well, everybody else says they like it. And she goes, look, I don't live it here anymore. I don't have to lie to you. <laughs> I unfriended her on Facebook. <laughs> no, I didn't. Here's one that I have, to, I have to touch on. And this is a struggle. For all of us who follow Christ and his word in our world and day to day. A person of integrity speaks the truth in love all the time. Let me emphasize this. Speaks the truth in love. Even when presented with a situation where someone wants us to affirm or approve something that's not true. That's a struggle, is it not? Do I need to get specific? It is. It's a struggle for me. I want to show you one example that Jesus did because I believe it's 100% possible and it's necessary, as I'm going to show you. It's necessary in our day and age today. You'll remember the story of the woman at the well, right? She comes to the well. She offers Jesus some water. Jesus says to her, I can give you living water. And, and she's like, well, what, what's that? And then he says to her, he says, interesting, he goes, woman, go and get your husband. Do you remember what she does? She lies to Jesus. She says, I do not have a husband. Jesus does not affirm and tell her she's telling the truth, but he says, what you said is true, but for this reason. 
you've had five husbands. And the one you're with now, so she's on to her sixth, is not your husband. Ouch. Jesus could have just, what? I don't have a husband. Oh, okay, well, let me tell you about living water. He could have done that. But she, she had sin in her heart and in her life. She had to face it. The end of the story is, Jesus confirms to her, I am the Messiah. He speaks the truth in love to her, and it's beautifully done. In Romans 1, Paul tells us that the problem in this world today is, in that day and today is, that people are suppressing the truth. Jesus said in John 8, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So he's saying that to his disciples. He's saying that to you and I. He also wants to say that to everyone in the world. And that's also why we know that Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way to the Father. I am the truth that leads to the Father. I am the life that will take you to the Father. In every case, You need the way, the truth, and the life to get to the Father. And so here's the thing, guys. Here's the things. This world desperately needs the truth. The enemy, Satan, is constantly spreading his lies. He's he's like free to do whatever he wants all the time, and he's busy, and he's doing it. And, And God is relying on what? You and me to go and proclaim the truth. People need to hear the truth. Therefore, we must live it and be willing to, under oath, say yes or no in truth. So I want to leave you with this. I want you to imagine something for tomorrow. I want you to imagine that tomorrow, um, a film crew is going to follow you around. Sound like fun? Outside and inside, not only filming you, recording every word you say. Oh, and by the way, they've invented a new cap that you're going to wear that will actually be able to read your mind, and they're going to record that. Can I ask you, will that be a different tomorrow? (laughs) Most of us are probably going to just take pills and want to become comatose. (laughs) I know I would, but come on, think about it. Can you do that in your own strength tomorrow? No, you can't. I can't. I can't be that kind of a person of integrity. But that's what Jesus is calling us to, and he wants to give to us through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's go tomorrow and just remember, he is with us every moment of every day, and for good reason, for good reason. He loves us. Pray with me, would you?